Hey everyone, have you been enjoying this series? If so, there's something really simple you can do to help us. Go on Apple Podcasts or whatever app you've been using to listen to the show and leave us a nice comment and a good star rating. It just takes a minute and it will do wonders for helping new people discover the series. So thanks a lot and on with the show. This is Mind Your Own Business with Mike and Matt, race car radio's podcast for business owners, entrepreneurs, and aspiring entrepreneurs. I'm David Hoffman, and your voices of reason are Mike Ganzel and Matt Plosiak. Today, the lovely Glenn Deal of Genesis Exhibits joins us to talk about a scary and exciting 180-degree turn he recently took with his business, a company that had done basically the same thing in the same way for decades and then totally changed their product line, supply chain, and sales strategy. All right, good morning, Mike. And good morning, David. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Michael and Dave. And our guest today is Mr. Glenn Deal. Uh, Why don't you tell us a little bit about your business and what you guys do? Good morning, yeah. Uh, Happy to be here. We're with uh, Genesis Exhibits is the name of our firm. And our core business for the last 35 years has been the design and manufacture of trade show exhibits. But we are now doing uh, many non-trade show face-to-face venues of product launches, um, uh, mobile tours, company meetings, uh, permanent lobby installations, anytime you need to build a three-dimensional brand uh, for your company, we can help design and execute that. Well, so you're, you're full service. You, you design, fabricate, yep. AV, carpet, furniture, graphics, the whole schmear. Huh? Correct. You walk into a, a ballroom of uh, Goldman Sachs and we'll do everything that you see in there. The, the seating, the staging, the lighting, the video wall behind there, the podiums, the sound systems, and all of the branding that goes with it both the digital content as well as the print media. The reason you came in today um, was that you've had, uh, just in the last short amount of time, a real sea change in the way you guys do business and in your supply chains. Tell us a little bit about that and what happened. Sure. Uh, We had a sole source supplier since the inception of the business in 1983. So we were a de facto franchise focusing on the local market. Uh, We severed that relationship earlier this year Diversifying from that supplier has opened up our business tremendously so that now we can offer a much broader range of products, services, and our territorial restrictions have now been removed. So it's almost like starting a new business all over again. It's it's amazing to be able to do that. Uh, So here's my question is what has that done to your staff? How has that changed? the inside of your company. I'm here to ask you guys that question of how do you overcome the cultural shift uh, for a company brand and staff that have worked with a, a single brand for 35 years, and now they have to rethink their own identity and who they are, and how do you change that culturally as well as the the practical matters of you know sourcing and all that. But for me, I've got a staff that in some cases have got, you know, 20, 30 years of uh, uh, 
single source underwear in their drawer that they have to throw out and start a whole new, uh, right, right, <laughs> a so, whole new brand. However, the repositioning of the brand, in the broadest sense, is uh, convincing the staff that we are in the face-to-face marketing business. So I want all of my staff, not only my AEs, but my designers and project managers, to think in terms of um, any face-to-face venues or environments that are customers, prospects, or their uh, or employees of a company go into. We want to help create or recreate that face-to-face environment. So this is what you want to do, which is truly amazing and certainly the right thing to do. But how have you done that? Because so yeah, what have you done so far to date to do that? Yeah. Well, we've we've uh, changed our design focus. For instance, you know, in in our business, we have a couple of key components. We have sales. We have uh, project management. Uh, we have design. We have service. Well, design drives everything. So what we've done is, in effect, we fired our designers, <laughs> and we are now outsourcing all of our design intentionally to use people that are experts in the type of venue that we need to go find. What used to be the case when we were on a very narrow lane is we had designers that knew how to build walls with pictures. Yep. Now we need designers who are able to think much more expansively about how to create experiential environments. So, so uh, you can go to whoever expertise you need, uh, given the project or the client. Correct. So I have a question. So you, you had this supplier for 35 years, and it sounds like once you parted ways, it sort of opened up a whole new world to Genesis and your company. And I'll have to ask, why'd you wait so long? <laughs> Great question, Matt. <laughs> you know, I love it. You know, and I've thought a lot about this recently because I still have many friends who are sourcing from that sole supplier. And uh, I think the biggest uh, internal change in my approach toward the business is the realization that uh, when you're working with a single source supplier, it makes you lazy uh, because you basically sell what they make And if they're providing any marketing support or leads, then you fulfill their leads. If they don't send you leads, then you can use the fact that they're not sending your leads as your pretense for not being successful. You say, well, I'd sell more stuff if you sent me more leads. Uh, And if you uh, don't like a particular product that they have, you can then blame them for developing the wrong product or it's too expensive or it, it doesn't do what the client wants. Right. So basically it was easier, right? It was easier, at but the, it, at the time. Yeah. And, and which was fine when they were proprietary in some respects and they represented a significant advantage in the marketplace. That advantage is now gone, uh, both from a product and a marketing and a branding standpoint. And uh, it was time for us to um, spread our wings and rebrand. So what message have you been giving your employees to say, we have a new brand, we have a new company, et cetera? Uh, The message to them is uh, the world is our oyster. Uh, You know, the the message simply to them in terms of helping them uh, wrap their head around the new language of the business is that we are no longer a trade show exhibit supply company. 
We are now an experiential marketing environmental design company. So you can bring the horse to water, which is all of what I hear you saying. Now, how do you make the horse drink? Well, some horses are more apt to drink new beverages than others. I was wondering, the first thing I thought of when you said this was how much harder this is going to be for your staff. I mean, the rewards are potentially bigger, but it's harder to sell. It's harder to explain. It's harder to, you know, how, how do you some of your people who have been with you for 20 years feel about this change or is there, there's been some resistance. It's been difficult for them to, again, think of themselves a new way, but that's, that's why I get paid because I am selling them on the new world of opportunity that we have to sell anywhere to anybody, virtually anything in our areas of expertise, as opposed to, just sell these products, just sell in this geography, uh, it is unshackling for them. So, you know, one person's uh, discomfort is another person's freedom. Uh, and and to the to large extent, they're embracing uh, the, the benefits to the whole new world that we're living in. You know, it sounds like you've made a lot of progress on this and, and, and some really positive things are starting to happen. But what are the challenges that still that still remain? What are the things you're still figuring yeah, well, out? What's not happening with? that you'd like to happen? And, and what can, uh, you know, the voice of reason here, Mike and Matt, what, what can we add to some of the great success that you are describing? Uh, I, I guess our, our biggest challenge right now is expanding our sales and marketing effort on a national basis. And there's a couple of approaches I'm not sure which one, if any of them, are going to work. You know, do you try and develop a network of independent contractors? What that we are, call those ISOs, independent sales organizations. Uh, yeah. So, or uh, do I go to established organizations that may want to add our offerings to what they're doing? So, for instance, a PR firm in Denver, maybe that wants to get into the event business. Uh, but they don't have the resources to do that. Maybe we could become the event production arm of an established PR firm or ad agency. Or So uh, I, I don't know if that's the right approach, and I'd be calling those people and trying to establish those relationships. Should I just be hiring representatives in certain geographies and incurring salary costs and startup costs and so it's if you know if you had a hundred dollars to invest, where do you invest a hundred dollars? The old the old well, question. Let me ask you this: uh, Perhaps one of the places is to start at home, meaning here with your own sales staff. Um, so you know the question really is: How rock solid is your internal sales team? And I think Matt earlier asked you this question as to if you asked one of your salespeople what exactly would they say to describe the business, it would seem to me before you could take this out nationally, you would have to really uh, build a rock-solid sales team who would, in essence, be your sales ambassadors mm -hmm. and then allow you to figure out what qualities you're looking for in salespeople outside. Because, you know, it's obvious if you're <clears throat> working here uh, in New York, New Jersey area, where your, your office in Jersey is, as well as here in New York, you know, it's easy enough to reach out with your own two hands to your salespeople. Now, if you start going to major cities all over the country, it becomes more and more difficult. So, and aside from the geographic uh, change, 
uh, think of it this way, when, when you're a sole source supplier, you're not quite an order taker, but it is easier because you're picking from a menu of available uh, solutions for a client. Correct. Now I have to get my, you know, bright, energetic, relationship-building uh, uh, sales staff, AEs, to think more broadly in terms of what opportunities to go after and what potential solutions to bring. Right. We need hunters. You need hunters. But but hunters that are going with a new mindset, because I've had hunters who were out looking for new business, but a particular kind of new business. Correct. When Now that we've diversified the business, they have to become much more conceptual thinkers rather than concrete thinkers. You need to build a new sales team. It's not just changing your current sales team. It is really building a new sales team. And what I'm what I'm imagining here is that your new, you know, your new sales team will be sort of tabla rosa, right? You know, mm-hmm. sort of they won't have all the past. They won't have all of that that they have to deal with. They won't have to unlearn. It will be a lot easier if you build a new sales team where they have to learn and not unlearn. We'll be right back after these messages. If you're enjoying this show, you might also like some of the other podcasts on Race Car Radio. For instance, try London's New York. Tour guide, historian, and socialist agitator Dan London takes you on a deep and opinionated trip through some parts of New York City that are a little to the side of the usual tourist trail and through the extraordinary, rich, and divisive history of one of the greatest cities in the world. I guarantee you it's a view of New York City that you've never heard before. Listen and subscribe now to London's New York at racecarradio.com. Racecar Radio is proud to support the work of IO Worldwide, a tenacious and dedicated organization working to address the root causes of poverty in West Africa. Because they believe that who a person is and where they come from should not solely determine what they are able to achieve. To learn about their work and how you can support it, please visit ayaworldwide.org. And now back to Mind Your Own Business with Mike and Matt. So let's, let's talk about this for a moment. What would it be like to build a, a new sales team? Meaning uh, perhaps a dual sales team. So you actually have two sales teams, not one. And you have a sales team that basically takes care of your existing clients. And their job is to farm those existing clients and basically explore the current service, you know, to develop the current services, continue. And as you said, to basically face the new world to see if they could introduce new services to them, a la the new the new company, etc. Well, here's the here's the balance challenge, right? Balance challenge. We have, we like have a that. core, we have a core uh, existing customer base that needs to be maintained and continue to be served as the foundation of the business. And the AEs that service those accounts what have those relationships. Account, account executive, sorry. Uh, uh, they have those existing relationships and the historical knowledge of, of what the customer needs are. So there's maybe it's going back to those existing customers and expanding our business within them to do more for them outside of what we traditionally have done. That's always easier to sell to a current customer. Sure. You know, it reminds me of, you know, when we, Michael and I had Netland, um, 
One of my best customers at the time was magazine company, large magazine company, had very good relationship with the VP of IT, probably spoke to him at least once a week, saw him several times a month. I'm having a meeting with him and he's telling me, oh, we're next month we're going to do X, Y, Z. And I said, well, we do X, Y, Z. He goes, oh, I didn't know. Sure. Yeah. You guys can do that. So, you know, people don't think about what you're doing until they need what you're doing. But now we're talking about this national perspective and we're talking about broadening. So here, what I'm suggesting is to building a new sales team. Well, and that that's- is totally separate from your, from your current team. And also not giving them though, any of those clients. A brand new client base and a brand new sales team. Well, that, that's my challenge, in effect. That, I mean, to, to foster that, our marketing reach now is now a national marketing reach where it used to be a very local one. So we're chasing, you know, there's a difference between leads and seeds, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, A lead is somebody ready to do business with you. A seed is something you throw out there and hope it germinates. So we're casting seeds all over the country uh, now, and that's going to create new opportunities. Uh, Those new opportunities may very well go to a new profile of salesperson but that's alluding to what I went back to before. It's do I hire, do I actually hire somebody and put them on staff and, and invest the money that way? Do I try and find independent, multi-line representatives? I'm going to answer those questions. Or do I look for the PR firms, the ad agents? Well, I think, I think initially I would agree with Michael. I know it's unusual sometimes, but I, I agree with him that you should start in-house. And I think it makes sense to have a separate national sales team and you start off with one person and two people and see how that grows and understand what the process is going to be to sell outside of your geographic area i i actually i'm delighted what what day of the week is it today is thursday Thursday. matt and we're agreeing we're agreeing well you know it takes a few days it does (laughs) that's right But um, I actually want to pick that up and tell you a little bit of our experience with ISOs. It isn't wonderful. I mean, independent sales organizations uh, basically sell, promote a variety of different products and services. And there is no guarantee that they are going to sell or promote yours. And how they work really is very simple. The ones that make them the most money, those are the ones that they promote. The ones that take the longest time, Unfortunately, they give less time to that. So they're, they're really focused on the here and now, the immediacy. Right. And if they don't have, and if you're not giving them leads, they're not going to sell anything. That's true. Secondly, you talk about established organizations, PR firms. Um, that's a great idea. But there again, you need somebody to promote that in-house to that. And that really comes back to building a new sales team with the uh, emphasis on hunting and putting those PR firms squarely in their, their uh, radar. And then, you know, the issue here today about uh, hiring a rep in a particular physical area, well, you have a very strong marketing director and team, and you can direct your marketing literally wherever you want. And so you can create 
using your web landing pages that are specific to a targeted area and then have your internal sales team actually focus on that. And ultimately then, once you've built your sales, this new sales team with your sales ambassadors, you might be able to send one of those guys out into the hinterlands and, you know, sort of be what we'll call the traveling sales guy that hits Denver and hits, you know, et cetera, over a period of time. But if, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, or at least they tell me that. I, I figure that that's true. So I would, you know, focus back on what, what is the team that you're building here and now, this new team. And if you then uh, have all of the um, conceptual stuff, all the marketing stuff, all of the expectations set, and you succeed building it here, then, you know, what they say, if you can do it here in New York, you can do it anywhere. You do it here in New York, then you can take it on the road. That's, that's my thought. I have a question. With the, with the digital world being what it is now and um, instant communication being so prevalent, is it necessary or even wise, let's say you want to break in in a bigger way into the event market in Vegas, say, where it's huge, right, or the Los Angeles, whatever, um, is it to have a person on the ground there or can it all be done remotely? And if somebody flies out every now and then to service an account, uh, you know, I wonder, you know, it's so easy, it's so much easier now to video conference, to market things digitally to be, does it, does, does putting a sales team in a marketplace have the value that it once did? Dave, maybe you're right. The, the uh, fact that the internet and the, the world is so digital it's certainly less necessary than it used to be to penetrate a particular market. Um, and I definitely think initially to do it from your current headquarters makes a lot of sense uh, to understand, you know, what the process will be. Because, you know, selling in New York is not the same as selling in Chicago or selling in San Francisco. So uh, understanding that and figuring out what kind of person you need in those markets uh, would be helpful. Well, and that's a an observation of just how sales development has changed, how technology has affected the change in sales development over the last 30 years. Uh, it's incredible now how few clients really have a need or feel a need to meet with us face-to-face. Uh, we're doing everything uh, via via Skype or whatever, and we offer all the time. We'll come over, and they're like, "No, come good. Just go to set up a go to meeting or a Skype call or whatever." Uh, so my own company is now a virtual company. I have a staff that resides in six different states, uh, all working for the home office here in New York, but. They're not all residing here, and, and we rarely get to see them and, uh, face-to-face, but we're working together virtually every day. So we've shifted internally. We're now shifting or have shifted to change with how our aging customer base has turned over to the new way of doing business. Uh, so I think to your point, uh, it's it's well taken that as we now continue to expand and grow our our sales effort, we may not need to do that with physical locations. We might be able to do that virtually and be just as effective because marketing is effectively reaching all these geographies. That doesn't mean that we have to physically be there. You know, I just wanted to say, I think it's so 
uh, impressive to be doing something, to have been doing something for so long a particular way, and then to be taking such a 180 degree shift so enthusiastically, you know, you really seem to be enjoying this tremendously scary, difficult process well, in a way that I find really, I'm, I'm so impressed by, I have to say. As, as I think Matt and I are too, but what I would say here, our tagline is we turn business owners into CEOs. So what is a CEO? And in reality, a CEO is a change agent. He's the chief change agent in the organization. And in essence, Glenn, you are personify, at least from what we've heard today, you personify that CEO who is indeed the change agent. And I've always believed that if you're not trying enough new things, even inside your own business uh, and, and failing uh, often, then you're not trying enough new things. So this whole idea of creating or recreating the business for me is, has been something I've been doing all or in part for many years as we've tried to diversify or tried uh, new approaches uh, over the years, tried new technologies. Some have worked, some have failed miserably, but that's okay. I'd rather be out there trying and failing than um, than, than not trying at all. So, you know, I think uh, it would be great to invite you back in a few months and hear how this transition's going and, and uh, hearing the uh, advantages and ups and downs of doing it. I think that'd be great, yeah. That'd be fun. Well, you're welcome back anytime. You know that. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Glenn, so much for talking to us. Sure. My pleasure. So, uh, Matt, why don't you just mind your own business? Dave, I think you and Michael should mind your own business. You know, Matt, that's funny coming from you. I'm just going to have to tell you and Dave, mind your own business. Well, I think I will. Thanks for listening to Mind Your Own Business with Mike and Matt. Episodes coming soon include conversations on hiring, firing, wiring, miring, tiring, and perspiring. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and many of your other favorite podcasting apps. Find those links at racecarradio.com slash mindyourownbusiness. You can also follow us on social media at MYOB Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. Today's guest was Glenn Deal of Genesis Exhibits, www.exhibitsbygenesis.com. The stars of the show are Mike Gansel and Matt Plosiak of Voice of Reason Consulting, www.voiceofreasonconsulting.com. I'm David Hoffman, and I produced the show. It was recorded and edited by Austin Cologne. Mind Your Own Business with Mike and Matt is a production of Race Car Radio, www.racecarradio.com. Race Car Radio is a division of Citizen Race Car. We tell stories.